Hello everyone, this is Albert from the Topic Podcast Network. The following episode is brought to you by the Topic Podcast Network. It is a completely 100% listener-supported network, so if you wanted to help us out, please head to co-fee.com forward slash topic network and also patreon.com forward slash topic network. Enjoy the show. Hey Ray, what did you think of the film? I thought it was absolutely stunning. Yeah. I think it is still the most visually stunning piece of cinema that's been ever made. Yeah. Um, 12 years on, it hasn't lost any of it. In in fact, it just keeps getting. Like, how is it still the front runner? Yeah. um, in, in, In terms of like the best visually produced film of all time. Of all time like it was still. in 2009. It's like, how has yeah. nobody seen this and and been able to do anything better visually since then? Look, I could write an actual thesis on the psychology behind the idea of tall poppy syndrome that all of Hollywood and Marvel and Disney they saw that it took that much effort and that much dedication to like the engineering and the physics. That's why it's it's that much more real is because these things aren't animated like CG, right? Yeah. It's not animated like this thing is just an alien. Like, he um, decided to get people like physicists and biologists and stuff onto this film so that every time the Toruk or the Ikran was like flying, it would feel heavy and it would feel real and that's why there's pores and like strands of hair and all this stuff. So, um, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, others Marvel yeah. they just skip all that, yeah, and they just go very rubbery and cartoony, and it that's how you get this really wacky kind of wily coyote animation for like ninety percent of Marvel movies. Yeah, exactly, and um, it's really sad that, uh, but we're hoping that that changes. What do you reckon? Yes, I mean yes, absolutely true, but I also think. Um, like you know how the highest rated TV shows of all time are Planet Earth. Yeah. Like people inherently resonate with mm-hmm. these wonderful observations of nature. Because we are nature. Um, and what is triumphant about Avatar yeah. is that it, yes, it, um, it actually it feels like a fictionalized, imaginative, yeah. um, world. world which is like a nature documentary. Yeah, right? and it, it taps it's, into that emotion you that, were yeah, yeah, that sense of awe and splendor mm. and connection that we feel. And not only that, like it also has a deeply spiritual element and there's a mystical element to it, which, you know, connects us with the oneness of all things. Yeah. And the, the older I get, the more moving this, yeah. this film becomes. Um, and I can't help but bring uh, my own life experiences. Yeah. Know, to it I remember seeing it for the first time I myself was like uh, a veteran yeah. you know with my That's tattoo right. on the exact same place as, as Jake yeah uh, disillusioned yeah. you know and seeking connection yeah and I was discovering my patterns and stuff at the time and the, the Navi are covered in patterns yeah you know so and it was yeah uh, like this movie kind of just came to me in that way and it comes to me every time I see it yeah with new things that I can bring to my current situation absolutely you know? um there was a moment that i felt all this um talk of like mother yeah all this talk of like mother earth and killing mother and and you know this uh responsibility we have to mother like it hit yeah. me 
different for obvious yeah. reasons. Um, and uh, it's it's you know no sacrifice on you know no sacrifice to like the soul. Yeah. Basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Also think it's like it just sort of struck me more than ever before like how uh, human beings have done this yeah. it's like you know if you look at the Navi that's more reflective of say how human beings used to live maybe yeah. a couple of thousand years ago um, how, and, and you were telling me how, yeah. did we, how did we become this like yeah. you were grabbing my arm like how did we go from Navi to Papa Dragon yeah. uh, let's boogie and just like completely desensitized to killing each other yeah you know? how did we become that disconnected from each other you know the Navi is all about connection with yeah. each other and themselves and, and, and people around them and it's like from that right like the how did we inflict so much cruelty to ourselves and our fellow human beings and to this earth yeah um, and and it's just like what what happened to yeah. you us. So I feel like, you know, given some of the more recent conversations about um, climate change and also some of the, you know, global, uh, con uh, not, not conflicts, war, like geopolitical yeah, war that's absolutely. going on in, in, in Russia and Ukraine. It's more needed um, than ever. It is, yeah. yeah, the moral imperatives of this movie is, I find, more relevant than ever. Yeah. I mean, you know, back in 2009, I was uh, just an undergrad, I was just at uni, so the, the messages of the film, yeah. um, you know, they were, they were timeless, um, yeah. they were reimaginings of movies like, or stories uh, like uh, The Dances with Wolves or, Last you know, Samurai, yeah, Last Samurai, Pocahontas, Pocahontas you know, yeah, and, and it's very like sort of an archetypal story. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but, but, but even the, the messaging of that film, I feel, is more relevant now than ever um there's conversations now about uh desensitization with the pace of content consumption um the whole conceit of the rda is that when grace proposes look the wealth of this place isn't in the rocks it's actually in the ma the magnificent uh you know neurochemical biology biological stuff happening yeah we can tap into that to yeah. basically either revive our own mother our own earth or she's inviting them to, yeah. to put aside the consumerist mindset yeah. that instant gratification mindset to do a more nuanced approach and then get more out of it yeah. which you probably would in the long run yeah. but, but there's a commentary being made about how corporations often they just want that thing that'll make money as soon as possible yeah. uh, to the great sacrifice and like permanent scarring of, of really great things on earth yeah. you know? and it's a bit double edged because on the one hand it's sort of the literal story of that which is if, I mean if they are driven by the advancement of the human race uh, I'm sure they could make a lot of money by yeah. uh, commercializing whatever scientific benefits that the trees have or that yeah. world has or those medicines have but the short-sightedness short of, of human industry sometimes yeah. and how it skews yeah. towards destruction oh, yeah. because and it ignorance. has done so in the past yeah, yeah and, and you know you have like those idiots like uh, constantly invalidating um, Grace uh, the erosion of the attention span yeah, yeah. You know? and 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 that like sort of um, uh, pedestalizing not being intelligent anymore oh, like so like yeah feeling so proud and having this sort of superiority complex trees, you, you know, know that they're that they're not smart and that they're not open-minded yeah. and uh, you know like I guess that's probably quite 
prevalent in um, like sort of contemporary society as well which is oh, yeah. like you know you just kind of sneer at intellectualism or whatever yeah. because um, it doesn't fall in line with the scroll past culture scroll yeah. past culture has stopped us from s- sitting with things we're just reading headlines and not actually literally just staying on the surface yeah yeah whereas yeah, absolutely, yeah. and you know, and the, the the second part of that which I wanted to emphasize is sort of meta because it can also be a commentary on art mm-hmm. and the creative process, which is like the movies are about finding something deeper, yeah, and yeah. so there's like a sort of Trojan horse message there about yeah. um, like it takes time and and there's more that you can do and you don't have to be short sighted about like guns and and exactly. just like explosions and stuff like that. You can make an intelligent movie that touches people which which has a good story yeah. and um, and it teaches people to be better yeah, yeah. And, to, and you sent me a message recently which I love and I to all listeners I suggest maybe taking a breath and really processing and taking this in is uh, growth happens fast when you slow down yes you know and Jim you know who we've we've now begun laying the path towards him being on the show so he can tell you himself yes is uh, it would be incredible like what an honor it will will be to to actually speak to him about this insane and i will will exactly and i will i will say look jim like ray told me and sent this to me and it is it is one of the most timeless things which is that if you if you slow down and and do the um do the work basically to figure out what something is and you slow down and realize what it is then things happen very fast yeah things like like growth and uh, understanding and integration but you need to have that crucial pause moment of slowing down and actually processing what something is yeah Um, and all of the rda you know the figures who just literally bulldoze their way yeah without actually sitting and thinking hey i'm actually destroying probably uh, who knows how many like um uh, different undiscovered species when I when I they just try to put these horse blinders on themselves yeah. but Giovanni Rabisi mm. you know he gets sent off with the others mm. he is coming back for the sequels mm. and he is the one that gave Jake another hour like so yeah. he's the he's the little tiny proof that J- yeah. that that Jim is planting which is like look there can be also corporate awakenings oh my gosh yes you know if 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 there's you know understanding which is about you know corporate social responsibility and sort of having opening up that conversation there yeah um i just again i i just cannot believe how it is still ahead of its time like if i saw this movie for the first time in 2022 i would still tell you that this is the best yeah film visually that's ever been made most certainly visually this is an absolute splendor and if we did meet another species Uh, of movie it's another species this is the movie that I would show them yeah and and it has a sense of a a thesis statement on like look we've learnt our lesson from having had a very shameful colonizer past and this is a cautionary tale we're telling ourselves to remind ourselves that when we do encounter an alien species that we won't go back to Captain Cook mode that we will do our very best to avoid going down that path because it shows how perilous and how slippery that slope is yeah Um, and it never ends well and it never brings peace never yeah absolutely which begs the question there was a beautiful bow tied on that film Mm. which all of the cast would tell you slang was like it was a complete shock when James called me again Mm. 
-hmm. saying not only I want you in this sequel, but it's been reported for years now that yeah. slang is all the way. Like they're going for all five films with slang. Yeah. Which is interesting because you uh, said to me in the screening tonight, like he's so witty, he's mm. so strong. Yeah. What if he was a good guy? Yeah. And I thought, well, we've got Edie Falco coming. Yeah. You know, we've got David Kate Winslet Kate, coming. Well, no, Kate Winslet plays Ronald, like the the. Um, the clan leader of the Medcaina. Oh no, I know she's not a bad guy. Oh yeah, but, sorry, sorry. But yeah, yeah. No, as in we yeah. have an onslaught oh, of we new all characters. Of new people. Yeah, yeah, Jermaine Clement. Uh, yeah. You know, David Thales, uh, um What's her name? Um, from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Uh, incredible. So I'm just very, very hyped for what could possibly like branch out. And, and now I want to ask you, what did you think of the footage at the end? The yeah, water. it was just again it very visually just, compelling. It was a holiday. Um, you know. Again, I'm just very excited. Um, it was probably also a reference to James's love for underwater. You know, we were, we he had seen so much of forever. the sky and the forest in the first film. Yeah. We know that he has a particular affinity with the Mariana Trench. With water, so yeah. we yeah. can only imagine just the creatures he has seen and the magnificence of the ocean that he has been privy to. Yeah. And I just cannot wait. And I'm, I'm, I feel so privileged mm -hmm. that, you know, from the cushy seats at the cinema we can we can be invited into that world yeah. and we can see that at once again yeah i and again even within that tiny little glimpse what is it it's a, it was a little a to a to b or a to z story of um seeking understanding and seeking to get on each other's page which is like hey they're not very you know again three two one spoilers but here's the footage it's the sully children um with the metkaina uh, clan uh, leaders children you know a with the dimples, you know, yeah, like so you know, sweet. Yeah, being like, no, be patient with them. You know, they're just learning how to dive. Mm -hmm. uh, encouraging communication, encouraging being on the same page. So I'm fascinated to see the different riff on the Navi's kind of beautiful, you know, nature uh, integration ideals. Yeah, that the that the Metkayina have because they're, um, you know, the Montikai obviously the the, the the jungle and and the forest fauna and stuff, but the ocean. You know, is going to be so fascinating. I mean, it, to the point where it was important enough uh, that they called it the way of water. Yeah, so which that's I think right. Be, yeah. Which, which, and and you know, uh, that we can learn. What right? is water, right? Um, the feminine. Yeah, and it's so much. You know, water is everything. Is you know, everything, like the, like the Bruce Lee saying goes, right? It can be it can be everything. Be water. It's 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 the tempest. You know, it's it's your favorite day at the ocean. Like it's 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 water is everything. Yeah. Um, and and so the flexibility that take, the take strength, of the patience, uh, the vastness, like it's it's all water in, takes in the shape water. of the vessel. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So there's yeah, I can only imagine. You know, um, what he's going to be teaching us and showing us in this film and I'm just so so excited me too, yeah. me too. so um, folks go see uh, Avatar Remastered yes um, season the season of Avatar begins yes and uh, yeah have a lovely rest of your day and yeah until next time bye for now bye 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 bye, bye. Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. 
became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Navi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs back. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. simple. I want you to learn from the inside. I want you to gain their trust. You should not be here. Go back. All this is your fault. I need your help. Gunships with bows and arrows. Well, I guess we better stop him. They've sent us a message that they can take whatever they want, but we will send them a message that this, this is our land. Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Navi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. 
concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs back. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. simple. I want you to learn from the inside. I want you to gain their trust. You should not be here. Go back. All this is your fault. I need your help. getting to make this movie. Jim, 13, 14 years ago, had a dream where Pandora came to him. He's the director and the writer and the inventor. This is cool. He's taking you on this journey that it's beyond words. Run, definitely run! This is his place. Call it Planet Jim. You're not gonna believe where I am. I wrote the treatment in 95. And it had all the characters in it and creatures and settings. But at the time, it turned out that it wasn't possible to do what I wanted to do. Jim talks about that he had to wait for technology to catch up to this script that he had written. So I just literally put the project in a drawer, forgot about it. In 2005, Jim said, I think we're close enough where if we could push the technology and tell this story that we always wanted to tell. I got it out and dusted it off and read it and said, you know, that's not too bad a story. I bet that would make a pretty good movie. That'd make a movie that I'd want to go see. months and 22 days. Jake's on a really interesting journey. He's paralyzed from the waist down. He's confined to a wheelchair. He's a wounded 
former Marine. And he's granted the opportunity to go fill in for his brother that was working on a planet called Pandora. Your brother represented a significant investment. Since your genome is identical to his, you could step into his shoes. Navitar is a remotely controlled body, which is the DNA of the alien DNA of me mixed together. You're placed into a link. Marching. And my thoughts and personality channeled into a synthetically grown avatar. Pandora is a place of opportunity. I think he's come there for an adventure. So you just figured you'd come out here to the most hostile environment known to man and see how it went? I figured it's just another hellhole. We were creating an entire world from scratch. So you get a number of world-class artists. I mean, really the top people, the people that, you know, I'm an artist, so I wanted to find people that impressed me. This wasn't like a world that he was making up. It was something he had seen and now was reporting back to us. I think he's been there. He wrote a travel log about it and he brought it back for us to, to recreate. He created this entire environment, the creatures, a different language. Try and use big words. This culture. That's, I think, one of the great things about Avatar is it's not just a movie, it's a universe. The number of animals, the number of creatures, the number of vehicles, it just doesn't have a precedent. This is great. But we also knew that what we were about to do was significantly beyond what had already been done. Because not only did we want absolute reality in terms of human performance as it was created by our actors, but we had to do it for a large number of characters. My brother, Spliner, with me! The most exciting thing is, it is my performance. This thing walks and talks and acts like me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. One of the things that I'm always gonna take with me is the fact that I was a part of a revolutionary experience in Hollywood. We were always trying to push the envelope. This time we were trying to push the envelope and it pushed back. And then we pushed harder. And it took a long time because it doesn't look like anything we've seen before. You should see your faces. thing that people need to keep very strongly in mind is that this is not an animated film. These actors did not just stand at a lectern and do a voice part, and then animators went off for the next two years and created the entire physicality of their performance. The most exciting thing is, it is my performance. This thing walks and talks and acts like me. It's my interpretation. Every nuance, every tiny bit of the performance that you see on the screen was created by the actors. They had to run, they had to leap, they had to fight, they had to do all the things that you see them doing in the film. And that's where the power of the performance comes from. It's not just we're capturing motion, we're trying to capture what's the intent of the actor. Let's go! What CGI technology does is it replaces prosthetics. Actors can now play any character that's designed in the computer without going through hours and hours of makeup. And what we get is their performance coming through the CGI character. Just like you would get Eric Stoltz's performance coming through in The Mask, you get Zoe Saldana's performance coming through in Neytiri. You have a strong heart. No fear, but stupid. 
ignorant like a child. Performers captures a technique where you try to capture the performance of an actor and translate it to a digital character. Prior to them even moving out into the performance capture world, we put the actors inside this giant sphere covered with lights and we could photograph them and study their facial features and try to understand how to design their characters. This is great. And then you put an actor in a suit with markers on the suit. We put you in a spatial volume. Using a lot of cameras all around to record the motions of all the markers. The computer is creating a real-time moving skeleton of you. From that skeleton, you now can drive a computer-generated character. Performance captures great for anything that can really be done by a human performer, including a lot of stunt work. Even some of the creatures on this film are at least roughed out in a performance capture stage. Jim was working with some of the performers to work out creature movements, in a sense, kind of puppeteering them. We used the volume for everything. For the aerial scene, we made little wire models of the various aircraft, and then we just go out there and fly them around, like a couple of kids with a toy airplane. In the computer, you would see a real-looking helicopter matching the motion of your action. And that's how all this stuff starts, with an idea of action. We've taken mocap and made a performance capture. You don't just want the motion, you want the emotion of somebody. And for that, you need a performance. The intent is to capture the entire performance of the talent. We're recording tons of high-definition reference from all these different angles so that we can really get those subtle nuances. The thing we were worried about most was this, because this is where movies live and breathe in the tight close-up. The part that we had to create during the making of this film was the facial image-based performance capture technology that allowed what the actors did to 100% translate to what you see the characters doing. So we came up with this idea that we would actually have a little boom, and on the end of that boom, there'd be a little tiny camera, and it would image the face while the actor was working. So it captured every nuance of how their lips moved and how all their facial muscles moved, how their eyes moved. What we're trying to do is take what the actor is doing emotionally in any given scene and to translate that into the characters. And we do that by using their muscles. It gives us a way to correspond emotion to what you actually see expressed in the character's face. It was a very, very exciting time where we realized that we had rounded that corner and that we had true human emotion captured and performed by a non-human character. They sent me here to learn your ways. What are you saying, Jake? You knew this would happen? Yes. I think a lot of actors think of performance capture as something off-putting or something that will limit their art. But Zoe and Sam Worthington and the others, including Sigourney, found that it's very freeing, very liberating. They embraced it. They had an awful lot of fun with it. Zoe, as Neytiri, captured every aspect of that character that I wanted. Her beauty, her lithe grace, her incredible strength, her emotional clarity. And you see all that. I trusted you! Trust me now, please. Go, go! Go, you not be happy! You will never be one of the people! I tried to stop! Go, Neytiri, please! Please! This is the first time that real-time performance capture has been employed in a direct filmmaking sense. This whole system has been set up to allow Jim, as a director, to walk onto the stage as if it were a live-action stage, pick up the camera, see his actors, see his characters, see his world. 
One of the ways we did that was by coming up with this virtual camera that allowed us to see in real time what was being shot in the performance captured stage. The virtual camera was used at three important stages. Initially, it was used to just look around in the scene. That's where we actually art directed the movie. And then we'd bring in the actors and I'd use the virtual camera to block the scene with them exactly like a director would use their viewfinder. When Jim picks up that camera and he looks at the actor who's standing there right in front of him, what he sees is their CGI character. And when he moves the camera around the stage, what he sees is the world that that character is supposed to be standing in. And we can be very improvisational because we're not bound by the set. You can come in here and, and create a world. We'll just pull assets that we've created into the scene and voila, you're in a new place in the forest. It is definitely liberating to be able to make those decisions on the fly. Jim probably has more flexibility on the virtual production stage than he would have during a live action shoot. Sweet. And then the third stage, I'm working with those captured performances to shoot all the cameras for all the scenes. The virtual camera doesn't have a lens in the traditional sense. It's all created virtually in the computer. We're using our performance capture system to track this position as though it were a camera view into that world. And the camera could do anything. It could be a crane, it could be a steady cam, it could be all just purely handheld. And it all reacts the way you'd expect a camera to react in real life. As a result, you're getting great camera work that doesn't feel computer generated. It feels very alive and lifelike. It's basically as close to live action as one could get in a CG invented world. You're watching yourself and the motion capture illusion that they created in a computer at the same time. Wow. Basically, you've got maybe 190 infrared cameras looking down on you. There's nowhere to hide, so every take you have to be truthful. I think people expected the actors to find it more difficult, but we're always doing make-believe anyway, so pretending that nothing is everything is second nature to us. What about this one? Run, don't run. Run, definitely run. It takes you back to the old theater days where you may just have one chair in the middle of your little black box theater and you have to imagine everything that's going on around it. You've got to just let go of all of the things that you thought was supposed to happen and just do it. Let your imagination run. You get so deep into this world that you start hearing, seeing, feeling Pandora. That happened from day one that I walked on this set. I had to take everything I learned in training and apply it to my first day. It helps you detach from the fact that you're shooting a movie. You're able to really dig into your character. <gasps> it's not animation. It's capturing the avatar version of Norm. Even though I'm big nine foot tall and blue, it's got my personality, it's got my soul. That's quite spectacular that a computer-generated image can do that, and that really surprised me. The door has just barely been opened on what's possible with this. One of the things that I'm always going to take with me is the fact that I was a part of a revolutionary experience in Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Pandora. Now listen up. Out beyond the fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubee. That's a fact. We have an indigenous race of humanoids called the Na'vi. They are fond of arrows dipped in neurotoxin that'll stop your heart in one minute. They are very hard to kill. Our mission on Pandora is to keep the peace 
and to protect human life in the middle of a single most hostile environment in the known universe. In order to achieve that, you've got to obey the rules. They are there for a reason. We must walk softly and carry a big-ass stick. Full position. We got movement out there. Yes! Peace and prosperity for us all through superior firepower. Welcome to Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Ready PG-13. I'm here today with Stephen Lang under the tree of souls. Stephen, cue the music. All right, Davy. <laughs> Press the button. There it is. We're under the tree of souls. Very excited. Look at this. It's like the real one. I, I wouldn't know. I never get to see it in the film, you oh, know? I never get near it. I, I thought about working out a bit before meeting you because, I mean, in the film, you're quite a tough guy. Uh huh. And I was worried you might turn up with sort of massive mechanical legs. No, no, no. I left my mechanical legs back uh, in Hollywood. Yeah. Or in New Zealand. I'm not sure where they are now. So did you feel pretty powerful when well, you? Well, it is. It's a it's a powerful machine to get into. You yeah. feel like, and uh, you know, and the idea is that it becomes an extension of your own self. Mm. So that's very exciting. Yeah. I love the idea. It was that. good fun. Absolutely. Because even if you're weak like me. You could technically be quite powerful. Yeah. Two days ago was Earth Day, which is obviously quite a big thing for James Cameron right. uh, surrounding the release of this film. Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, obviously in the film you destroyed Pan you wanted to destroy Pandora really. Well, how do you feel about you know nature and things like that? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm born and raised in New York, and I live in the Hudson Valley, and the Hudson River is one of the most cherished. We're so proud of it in New York. And in my own lifetime, uh, the Hudson River has gone from being a dirty, polluted river to being a river that's been totally reclaimed. And so uh, I've seen firsthand the results of what you know people can do to reclaim the environment, to turn things around. And uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's a terrific thing that mm. that we can that Jim can make a film that is so entertaining and have such a huge appeal to everyone at the same time to really promote a message that has some real significance. And in the film itself, was there any particular scene? I mean, have you seen the film? <laughs> you must have seen it. Well, not lately, but I have seen it. Did you wore your 3D glasses? Of course. Did what was your favourite scene in the film? Pretty much any of the scenes with uh, the colonel are really good. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think that the scenes when Jake is learning to fly, I think I was pa I passed through once or twice. I'd be going to a fitting or something, and they'd be working like crazy over there. But you know, I was sort of doing my own thing. I never envied having an avatar or anything when I was doing the picture because I was so happy to be playing the role I was playing. Then when I saw the film, I went, oh man, that is so cool. I, I want to fly. I want an avatar, but I've got my answer. So, well, saying I love your uh, character, by the way, and I really want you to say, as I'm sure a lot of people do, 
We're not in Kansas anymore. Well, I mean, it's the fact we're not in Kansas anymore. Oh. We're here at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park where you can speak your mind. Should have been the line. That's <laughs> great. So, I mean, you just mentioned then um, you, you didn't envy being an avatar. We've got a question, actually. Someone wants to know, would you like to be an avatar in the sequel? I mean, everyone loves the blue people. Uh -huh. Does that not make you jealous? No, no, no. I mean, not jealous, but you wonder what you'd look like, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you can't help but speculate, you know, what would happen if if Quaritch were not... I mean, his DNA still exists. Do you want to... You're coming back in the sequel. I mean, is that like a big possibility? <laughs> I suppose it's always a possibility. You know what I say, where there's DNA, there's hope. Uh, yeah, no. But it's uh, it, that's all in the hands of the uh, the creator on this one, I'd say. And a lot of people hope you do because when I was watching it in cinema, nearly every line that you said, someone behind me just kept laughing and they loved you. So <laughs> I just know a lot of people do. So well, I remember when I saw it. I've seen it a bunch of times, and on a number of occasions, when I've jumped free of the uh, burning my burning dragon ship yeah there's been uh, cheers and applause and then when <laughs> I died they cheer and applaud so they cheer and applaud Mixed whether messages. I live or whether I die so and I like your die. arm was on fire you you can handle anything yeah I yeah. love that I was like you don't care I came into work one day and Jim said uh, slang you mind if uh, I ignite you today and I said <laughs> whatever you need sir <laughs> and he did so um, on set like you had some pretty cool people to work with is, was there anyone you really particularly clicked with? I mean, I assume this is the first time you work with some of these people. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I just thought the world of all of them, to be honest. Uh, it was a great pleasure working with Giovanni Ribisi, oh, who yeah. uh, is an actor I've long admired, and we've done a couple of projects together. Yeah. We were also in Public Enemies together. Yeah. Uh, Sigourney I've worked with before, and she's, of course, a consummate pro. Just, mm. just great, and and we're so antagonistic in the film that it was a lot of fun because we're actually quite good friends. Uh, Sam is a terrific actor. Yeah, he's yeah. always he's very very present in the moment, and you never know, you know, what's going to spin out. Mm. I think, and uh, I just and Zoe is uh, awesome, very powerful. Beautiful. Michelle, terrific. Just, and uh, I mean, you must have gone for a beer with Sam. Is you know what, I didn't that. drink too much. I got, to be honest, I didn't hang out a whole lot. I mean, uh, the Colonel is, uh, I, I tend to uh, submerge into the role a little bit. Mm. And, uh, uh, and also, uh, back uh, when I was Sam's age, I could do a full day's work and go out and do a full night's drinking at all. But if I do that now, I pay for it for three days after, so oh, I can't man. do it anymore. Was there a lot of drinking, like? Do the others go out for a quick pint? I, I can't speak, but I think that, you know, they you managed to support the economy of uh, Wellington, yeah, yeah. New Zealand, to the extent that they could. Sure. So, um, how did you get cast for Avatar? Like, was there a, was there a story? Because I understand that you you'd met with James before, or you auditioned for the previous film. Well, I mean, 20 years before, I mean, we met on Aliens, and uh, I didn't get the part. But so, there's a lot of people who didn't get the part. I wasn't too worried about that, you know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I was doing a, a, a solo performance uh, in New York, and Jim saw a picture from it, which uh, sort of just sort of piqued his interest and reminded him of me. Mm. And so uh, the script was sent to me, and then we had a conversation, and then uh, we had a meeting, and then he asked me to do the part. So it was actually a very, uh, um, it was a, 
extremely uh, uh, organic process mm. getting the part. Does so that make you feel quite special? You bet. I mean, to be in this film, I think it's a special film. Yeah. And uh, in, a, in some way, it's a role I've been waiting to play for an entire career. So, you know, I feel very fortunate, for sure. Well, and a lot of people love the world of Pandora. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, would you want to live in Pandora? if you have the chance. Well, I like living in New York, but <laughs> but I would sure like to visit Pandora. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, doesn't it feel weird that like, for you it's like that world is a green screen, but for us that world is full of trees? No, it doesn't because, you know, when I, when I saw the film, even though I knew the movie and I'd been watching it in process and everything, I was totally awestruck by the film, you know? And, uh, and, and honestly, I was as taken with the world of Pandora mm. as anyone, you know? I probably, and I think we all have our favorite things. I mean, I happen to just feel, I love the Viper Wolves. I always have. And probably part of the reason I love them is because four years ago, I, they were some of the first things I saw. And at the time, they were like little drawings almost on popsicle sticks mm. just moving through. And they would, and, and John Landau, the producer, would say, and those are the Viper Wolves. They're going to look really good, you know? And at the time, they did. Did you believe it? I did. How long were you in filming for completely? I mean, Avatar is obviously a huge project. Yeah, I was cast in June of 2007 and I started shooting in October of 2007 and I finished shooting in the spring of 2009. <clears throat> but during that time, I did three other films as well. Mm. So I'd, do, I'd work on the longest, <clears throat> excuse me, I ever worked on Avatar was for four months straight. Mm. And then I'd come back and I'd do work as it was needed. Did you, did you find it confusing when working between like two projects? That's a great question and I didn't uh, just because I would, you know, I, I understood uh, part of the, the understanding for me going off and doing other things was that it would not be at the expense of Avatar and I always kept the character kind of burning somewhere inside of me so I could go right back into it. We look forward to see if you come in the sequel. We really hope you do. Me too. Because you're a great character. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I don't know. Whatever happens, we look forward to it. And um, it was lovely to meet you. Good to see you, Dave. Thanks, cheers, see man. You. Thank All you. Right, buddy. Okay. Good. Thank you, man. Is that cool? I appreciate that. You bet. It was great. Everybody good? Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We've finally reached the day of the James Cameron interview. We've had 20,000 votes from all of you guys on the internet. And finally, I've got the top 10 questions to ask James. Here we go. What inspired you to make Avatar? Well, that's gonna be a longer than one minute answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really inspired by my love of the natural world. As a, as a kid, I was, I was uh, you know, basically a nerd that spent all my time out in the woods. Um, you know, I, I, I love being alone out in the woods, collecting bugs and frogs and things like that. And at the same time, I was growing up on a, on a uh, steady diet of science fiction. Loved reading it, loved watching science fiction movies. So you put that all into a blender and you spin it up and what you get is Avatar. Fantastic. There was no sort of one point inspiration. It yeah. was a collective of many things. Yeah, I mean, Avatar is obviously visually stunning and congratulations on the Oscars as well for that. Um, we've got a question here 
from someone in California called Rich P. Uh, they said, what do you consider to be a, a good successor? Now, you've set the barrier so high. Mm -hmm. Do you think there can be a successor to this film um, in, in the quality of 3D? Oh, absolutely, sure. I mean, I have a number of, I have a number of projects in mind for a next film, one of which would be a, a second Avatar film. And, you know, I think uh, we know exactly how to achieve the visual quality that we did on Avatar. Uh, you know, the, the, the trick to it is creating a story that's, that's both satisfying enough and surprising enough to justify doing, doing a sequel, which is something I'm working on. When you were creating the film, did you imagine the, the society on Earth in the future um, were there other colonies other than the one on, on Pandora? Ah, we got a real science fiction fan here. Yeah. Wants to know a little more about the universe. I visualize a future in for for the purposes of this film, in which there are no other star systems that that uh, that are currently colonized except for. Uh, Alpha Centauri, but our Alpha Centauri star system, because it's a binary star, it's actually a trinary system, but it's a, uh, there are two suns, Alpha Centauri A and B, and they have a number, a number of planets, and around those planets a number of moons, and it's a quite complex system. The idea is it's the closest uh, star system to us, and we've found something unbelievably valuable there, a second Earth, a very Earth-like world, and one that has incredibly valuable resources. So we've focused our attention on that and we've created our, our interstellar commerce economy based on going to the, to the nearest star system. But, you know, for purposes of sub subsequent stories, uh, there's plenty in the Alpha Centauri AB system to keep us busy for 20 movies. We don't have to go zapping all over the galaxy. That's not the point of this. The idea is to create a slightly more realistic future uh, interstellar uh, economy. And obviously with this came quite an environmental message. Uh, through the movie, uh, do you plan to enhance that message uh, further than the screenplay, sort of following following this film? Well, I mean, I'm I'm very involved right now with a number of of uh, environmental causes that have um, approached me because of the resonance between you know Avatar and their particular cause. For example, uh, you know, indigenous rights in the in the uh, uh, Amazon basin and and things like that, and uh, you know, global warming and deforestation issues and so on. So I'm. Um, I'm you know, going around doing speaking engagements. We're going to be releasing the, the DVD uh, on Earth Day, which is a great opportunity to, to remind people that Avatar is an environmental film. Uh, it's not just a, you know, a big science fiction action adventure. It's a film that has this, these other themes in it, and these are things that we all need to be thinking about. Do you think that might be included in the special features sort of thing of the, of the DVD? Right, now the, the DVD that we're releasing on, on April 22nd is the movie with no special features. Just the okay. movie, but it's just the movie. There's no kind of crap trailers all you know, running, running up to the start of the movie. It's you put the disc in, and it's the movie. Yeah. It's the, it's a very pure experience of the film, properly authored, and so on. And the reason I want to do that is because then we're going to do this kind of Uber box set for the for the holiday season later in the year. Uh, and right now we're preparing all the additional scenes and all that sort of thing. And I definitely want to include stuff that is about the kind of the environmental themes of the film and how Avatar maps to real issues uh, in our world. 
uh, right now with, with the idea of, uh, of the amount of forest that's being destroyed, what the negative impact of that is going to be to all of us everywhere, even if we don't live next to that, to that forest, uh, what the, the negative impact of, of displacing these indigenous cultures or destroying their, their, uh, their habitats, what that is for everybody, how we all lose. And I, I admire the way you sort of wrapped it all up in Avatar, which isn't completely obvious in your face, but it does have these subtle messages. Of, of this, right? I think you know, it's fantastic. I think it's interesting that that you know you can have a film like Inconvenient Truth, which actually gives you a lot of facts, yeah. but it's not a particularly emotional film. In fact, it's not emotional at all. Avatar is exactly the opposite. It doesn't give you any facts at all. It assumes you know the facts or you know the issues. Uh, it gives you an emotional context. Uh, it gives you a sense of let's say almost moral outrage when you see the tree destroyed, when you see the people gassed and 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 displaced from their ancestral home and so on. And out of that sense of outrage, you then evolve to a sense of, of, of triumph and hope because good conquers evil at the end, of the, the end of the film. I think you put those two emotions together and it, it could be effective in galvanizing people to actually do something in a way that having all the facts only triggers a sense of denial. When we continue to follow Jake and Naturi in the upcoming film, um, will we see flashbacks of Jake's previous life? That's something I'm toying with, but I haven't made a decision about. Okay. Uh, in other words, do we see Sam Worthington uh, appear in, yeah. in, a, in a photographic form? And yeah, previous, previously to his escapade on... on yeah, well, you know, he's a good-looking bloke, and it would be nice to put him on camera again, but we don't, uh, we don't need to. I mean, uh, probably the story will progress forward and not necessarily go into, into flashback. That would be my guess right now. Okay. So I assume that he won't be ever... Is he locked in the Avatar? body now and, and you don't his human body's dead it's completely gone forever. absolutely okay thank you very much I look forward to the sequel James yeah thanks okay. for talking All to right. YouTube well, well, we'll get, we'll get after that <laughs> we'll you. get right on that <laughs> people have asked me what was your inspiration I grew up with this profound sense of wonder about nature I was on a quest to be able to reproduce full human emotion in a CG character always trying to push the envelope. something never before seen. Random squeak at the end. Cut, and then next bit, do it. Does, there's no like proper bridge there. Sorry. Okay. Hello, I'm Kata17 from YouTube. Hello, I'm Kata17 with you. Oh my god.
this day. It's a really exciting moment for us. I mean, truly exciting for us because we've got back together the whole Avatar team. Some of the different components that went into the making of the movie and this day are represented on the extended collector's edition. Since the purpose of the special edition disc set was to celebrate the team behind the film and help the fans understand how the film was made with all these new pioneering techniques, we're going to show you that today. The collector's edition is intended to give the general audience the same experience that people have coming around here today, to let them see how the movie was made. So today we have a series of stations. You're going to see from the start all the way through the end. We're letting you really behind the curtains. First station will be the characters, creatures, and vehicles. You were able to infuse the physical character with so much of the actor. Everything was thought out quite thoroughly on this movie. Station 2 is designing the world. Actually, the first time I believe that an Academy Award was shared by two designers. There was a virtual art department that was generating virtual sets that were never physically built. And then there was the physical art department. Welcome to the Navi world. A little bit of language. Absolutely elementary language lessons, starting from scratch. All of that information resides in Pandorapedia, which is also reproduced in full on the disc. In virtual production, there are actually two stages. There's performance capture. And action. Every time I'd do a take, they would ingest it into the avid. They'd cut it into the scene. And I'd go over and I'd see how the scene was starting to come together. Adjacent to that, we have the simulcamp stage. And playback. We're using the same motion capture system to capture the position of this camera in space. In terms of being revolutionary, that's one of the things that's really going to change how visual effects are done going forward. And from there, people will transition into the 3D camera. Welcome, everyone. I'm Vince Pace. This camera system that you're seeing here is an actual camera system that was used on Avatar. And I'll give you some glasses to take a look at that. Just go ahead and... There you go. There you go. Our next station is visual effects. What we would do is some character studies to make sure that we could translate Sam's performance to Jake's performance. The next station is probably the most surprisingly complex, which is editing. You didn't just have to edit the movie once, you had to edit it several times. And our last station is really about the after effects of this movie and the potential impact it could have on a go-forward basis. And this movie obviously was the biggest blockbuster of all time. The environmental groups and indigenous rights groups couldn't be more thrilled. We actually made a short documentary, and we've included that in the box set. It's the heart of this movie that makes this movie work on a global basis. And I think that it can be a real experience for you guys uh, you know, whether you're fans of the film or not, to get behind the curtain on some processes that are really revolutionizing how films are being made. YouTube's Kick the PJ here. 20th Century Fox sent me out to New Zealand to report back on some of the crazy goings on at the behind the scenes of Weta Digital. That's where they made Avatar. Here are some of my personal highlights, which include interviews with the producer, John Landau, the special effects team over at Weta Digital, and some behind the scenes footage, because everyone loves behind the scenes footage, right? Of course you do. Enjoy. Firstly, I went onto the set of Avatar, and although there was no vast planet of Pandora, it was still really interesting to see how the first step in the process was done. Also, I didn't realise how important it was to capture the actors' emotions before. People have also asked, you know, what about virtual glasses? What about giving the, you know, the actors, the performers, the ability to walk through the environments and really see it? Well, that's actually something we looked at initially, except, as Mark said, if you're wearing glasses like that, you're not getting the eyes. So it was more important for us to capture the eyes. 
Then I had a one-on-one -on -one interview with the producer himself. Hello, um, I'm here with the producer of Avatar, uh, John Landau. It's very nice to meet you. It's uh, a pleasure to be here with uh, you and your YouTube uh, viewers. Yeah. I've asked my subscribers what they want to know about the films. This is a very community-based. I'm quite close with my subscribers, so I've just got a list of questions that sure. they'd like to know. Okay, um, so first of all, uh, that nerd fighter wants to know about the Navi, the Navi language and just how it was made, how it came to be. Uh, we went out and looked for a linguist, and we hired a gentleman by the name of Dr. Paul Fromer, who is a professor at the University of Southern California. Now, I thought we were going to hire him, and he was going to come in and say, okay, here are the words, and here's a sentence, and he would just quickly come up with the words. Yeah. I was wrong. It took him six months just to figure out the structure oh, wow. of the language, to decide whether there are female nouns and male nouns, and, and what comes first. I mean, oh, wow. So... Can he speak it fluently now? Can he just like... Paul can talk in the, in the vocabulary that we created. We created a dictionary, and I think it's going to be available uh, as part of a Pandorapedia on the Collector's Edition disc, where you can see all the words that we came up with. Oh, so wow. if it's within that set of words, Paul is pretty remarkable. That's awesome. A user called Crabsticks wants to know about... Uh, the, like, he says the, the 3D techniques and... Uh, the, the animation is all really sublime, but what's next? Where? What's the next level? How? How is it going to be pushed to something more for, for the viewer's experience? Like, how can we experience more? Well, one of the things that we're exploring fairly seriously is how do we project movies in the theater at a higher frame rate? If we ran at 48 or even 60 frames per second, we'd be able to get that much articulation and animation into CG characters. We'd be able to create a heightened sense of reality in the theater and that immerses the audience even more in that world. So that's one of the areas that we're looking at. That would be amazing. I was given the chance to have a real in-depth look at how Avatar was put together. After seeing all their cool techniques, I got to have a chat with the special effects guys at Weta Digital. What were you looking forward to most when you uh, introduced into working with Avatar? Oh, so for me, I think, it, as simple as it was, it's just to work on a Jim Cameron film, just because of, you know, after Aliens and the Terminator films and things like that. He's a guy that you know whatever movie he's involved with is um, just going to be really innovative. It's going to have a lot of imagination, a lot of thought. It's going to push the boundaries on stuff. Um, I've always enjoyed every movie that he's made, so I think it was that as much as as anything. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's um, it's always really cool when you're able to work on a, a project that will take people to a different uh, time or place, to something that where you can bring the audience along on an experience that you know they wouldn't have in their their day to day, and uh, you know, the film like Avatar is perfect that way because. Yeah. Not only are you taking them to like an environment that they've never been to, but all the rules are different. You know, you've got floating mountains and um, you know magnetic fields and uh, that are affecting the geography and creatures that they've never seen before. And um, you know, it's it's easy sometimes uh, when you have so many fantastic elements for things to get a bit uh, a bit muddied or um, you know uh, uh, cheesy. But um, like like what I'm saying, when you know it's um, being handled by a, a you know top-notch competent filmmaker, you you know that the work that you put into it is gonna um, is gonna be worthwhile in the end. Finally, I went into the Weta workshop where they make all their guns and cool contraptions that go in the film. I then had the chance to have a chat with the senior visual effects supervisor, Joe Lotteri. Hello. Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the gadget dude asks, what did you base 
the the Navion, like what what was the inspiration behind um, the character design? The character design came from Jim. That was him his idea, and there were a combination of things. The the idea of the blue skin was to give it sort of an alien quality, kind of based on underwater. You know, a lot of the feel of the movie comes from Jim's diving experience. But then we combined that with features of a cat, like the eyes were from a lion, the nose was from a lion, the ears and tail were, were more from a cat, and that gave us a a different kind of expressiveness and a unique kind of mix to the characters. Nice. Yeah. Um, and final question from Hey, it's Pav. Um, will PJ be helping on Avatar 2? That's I don't know how that got in there. I, I've got a fa I've got a fan. If, if you need any help, I've got a fan base. I can bring over my fan base to uh, just putting it out there. Okay, well that's that's all the questions I've got. Um, okay, thank you very much. All right, to this interview. Thanks, PJ. to our exclusive interview with James Cameron. We've got a few other little little things here and there which we can put on the channel. And the first is that of the producer of Titanic and Avatar, John Landau. So do you go on YouTube much, John? I, I do go on YouTube quite a bit. What do you do on YouTube? You know, I, I search for mostly for humor. <laughs> you know, I think uh, YouTube is a great uh, break to, uh, to bring a chuckle to your day. Yeah, well, any favorites in particular? Uh. Well, uh, you know, if I'd seen him do it live, I would have killed him. But somebody posted a video of my son goofing behind Sandra Bullock on the red carpet at the Oscars. Really? And um, I watched it the following morning, and I just burst out laughing. And um, truly, I would have killed him if I saw him do it. <laughs> I'll have to have a search for it. Put in my favorites. It's, it's kid makes funny faces at Oscars or okay. something like that. I'll have a look. Okay. Anyway, yeah, we've got some questions here from YouTube community because um, we've all been sort of campaigning for them. Uh, really, firstly, I mean, a lot of us would like to know what it's really like to have two such successful movies, uh, Titanic Avatar, under your belt. I mean, has it changed your life? You know, it, it uh, hasn't changed my life, but it, it's beyond the, the imaginable in some ways to, to be a part of these two movies that have received these type of accolades from people around the world. It, it's a pinch me moment. And um, it's really what gets me up, you know, every day now to say, okay, what are we doing next? Because I, I enjoy so much um, what we do. And what, what advice, I mean, a lot of people would like to get into the same game as you are. What advice would you give to them, sort of starting out? Well, don't lose sight of what makes movies work. What makes movies work are the stories in their center. It's not the technology that you throw at these movies. Later on, you'll be able to throw technology at movies. At the start of your career, focus on story. And later, the technology will only enable you to tell stories that couldn't otherwise be told. So it's not about what camera you have, it's, it's about how you use it. That's right, it's take any camera. Take any camera, sh shoot stuff, put it up on YouTube. See how people really respond to it. Let that be your preview process. You know, get feedback, make changes, learn from that experience. That's great advice. Uh, you obviously work a lot with James, um, and you, you've created quite a nice partnership. What 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 do you think is is the driving force behind you two? What really makes you two connect? Well, I, I think what, what makes us connect is that neither one of us views there as being sides on a movie. There's not a director's side and a producer's side. There's one side, and that's the movie side. And when we have a disagreement about something, I think both of us know that it's not coming from a, an, an egotistical standpoint. 
It's coming from what we independently think is best for the film. And to be able to have an open dialogue and be able to convey not just what you're thinking, but the reasoning behind your thinking, I think is very important when dealing with Jim. So that's something that I hopefully bring to the table. Oh, fantastic. And, and you obviously work uh, closely on set together as a producer. Is, is, was there any time in the filming that you can think of a worst moment of, of the whole filming process? Any kind of little anecdotes? You know, I, not a worst moment, but a, but a moment that I think illustrates a producer-director relationship. And it, it goes back to Titanic. We were shooting uh, Kate and Leo on the bow of the ship in the moment where they're, they're flying together. And we had shot it outside and happened to capture this incredible sunset. Um, but the sun set too quickly and we had to go onto the stage to do some more coverage. And I was walking a reporter around the stage, um, the whole facility, and I noticed Jim shooting the scene. And Kate walked up behind Leo and Jim racked focus to her. And she then said, Jack. Well, when we were outside doing the scene for the first time, she walked up behind him. She said, Jack, and then we racked focus. So I went up to Jim and sort of whispered in his ear that, hey, Jim, it was, I might have been better when you were outside and we did it the, the other way. And Jim, you know, nobody tells me how to direct, you know, go away, go away, go away. And I went away, but I went to Daly's the next day. And every take after that moment, Jim shot it the way I had reminded him he had shot it outside. <laughs> and that's what ended up in the movie. So I think that's what a producer does. Yeah, yeah, you wore the trousers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, finally, Avatar. Uh, it's a very exciting movie, congratulations. And um, I have one burning question. My favorite actor is Mel Gibson. Do you think we could see him in blue in the next film? You know, I, I, I don't think we're gonna see Mel you know, in this movie. You know, I, I saw Mel recently. Uh, Mel actually came by Lightstorm and we screened Avatar for him at Lightstorm. Uh. And I think he has a busy slate of pictures that, that he wants to do. And uh, he is a great actor and he brings such charisma to the screen. We, we would love to have him in the movie, but I don't think it's practical. Never mind, we can only hope. Thank you very much, John. You're very welcome. Nice to meet you. See you. So there you have it. That was my interview with John Landau, a very great guy and obviously a very good producer. Although I just don't understand. Why would he not want Mel Gibson in the next Avatar? I mean, Mel Gibson painted himself blue in Braveheart. Looked brilliant. Anyway, thanks for watching. Stay tuned for more exclusive content on this channel for Avatar. YouTube in Hollywood for the Blu-ray and DVD release of James Cameron's new epic movie, Avatar. Hi, I'm David from YouTube. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, David. And it's very exciting about the Navi language. Um, <clears throat> as we were just talking about, there's a big online following uh, of people who are actually learning Navi. How does that make you feel? I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm gratified. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. I mean, I never thought that in the space of really just about three months, the language would have exploded the way it has. Mm. But um, there are a lot of very dedicated people, very enthusiastic people who are uh, really learning it remarkably well. I'm getting long emails written to me entirely in Navi. Yeah. Who would have thought? Amazing. Have you got a particular message for, for those followers um, if they're watching now? I would simply say uh, uh, Thank you all very much and, and just, just uh, uh, let's work together as a, as a community to develop the language further. And it took you four years to, to come up with this um, language. Was there any point in which you thought, 
Mm, I don't think it's going to be possible. Is there any sort of downtime? Uh, you got a bit down about the whole process? Not really. It 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 went uh, it it went in 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 spurts. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I spent four years, forty hours a week working my lounge. I I I, I have a day job. A day job but um, uh, I developed the language pretty much on an as-needed basis. In other words, if I had to translate a certain line in a script, if the line had a particular word, I'd say, well, I better come up with that word. Or if the line had a, a grammatical structure, which I hadn't developed up to that point, mm. then I knew, I knew that I needed that. So there were kind of, kind of starts and stops. Um, now, a whole new area was last year when I worked on the video games. That gave me a chance to develop a lot of new vocabulary, a fair amount of military vocabulary, uh, and a different register of the language. Um, there was a scene where there were two sort of grunt-level warriors talking to each other, and so I developed a, a, a register of the language that was kind of kind of rough and ready and a little bit uh, a little bit slangy, which was kind of fun. So all those things could have sort of propelled the language along, but uh, now it's being it's it's moving. I think probably faster than it ever has. And do you think uh, for the sequel you have to expand the language uh, a lot more than the first film? Tell the truth, I know nothing at all about the sequel except that it probably will exist. So that remains to be seen. But I would imagine that the language needs to be developed further for the sequel, yeah. Okay, well, it'll be exciting to find out. Um, yeah. And like, say I wanted to learn the language itself. Uh, how would you compare it to learning something like German or, or a known language? Is it a lot easier or, or harder to learn Navi? Right, that's, that's a good question. It's, it's, really, it's really hard for me to say. I think I'm a little bit too close to it. Um, there are certain aspects, I think, that make it challenging. Um, it does some weird grammatical things. I mean, weird from, our, uh, from the point of view of most Western languages. Uh, to inflect a verb, for example, whether it's past, present, or future, rather than sticking something at the end or the beginning of the word, you stick it in the middle, uh, which is a little bit strange to many people. It has some, it has some challenging sounds, and it has sounds like tun, and which, which you, you, you have to learn to make. Um, all in all, though, I, I don't think that the barriers to entry, as someone has said, are that high. I, th I think that you can, you can actually um, move forward with it at a fairly rapid rate. I'm not going to tell you that I, or as far as I know, anyone else right now can really speak it easily and fluently, you know, just, yeah. just on the spur of the moment. Yeah. But who knows? Hopefully that's going to happen eventually. Yeah. And lastly, um, say an avatar was to get hold of a mobile phone and they wanted to uh, text in Navi. Do you think that would be possible? Like, would it be shortened? They would probably find ways of shorting it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there, are, there, there will be abbreviations equivalent to BRB and LOL and, and, and things like that. Uh, what would LOL be? Uh, laughing out loud. Um, it would have to do with the word harangham, but I'm not sure quite how they would do it. Maybe, uh, maybe HRH, I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, nice sir. to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you too. Anyway. Thanks for watching. Stay tuned for more exclusive content on this channel for Avatar.